0: Good morning. My name is Tom Marinello, and it's a privilege to be with you at Terrell Road Bible Chapel as I'm making this recording here in the Netherlands. It's a beautiful spring day, and it's such a beautiful day that you may hear the kids outside the window kicking the ball around. My wife and I have been here in the Netherlands for 20 years. We're missionaries listed with CMML. My primary ministry is that at Tyndale Theological Seminary, where I teach and mentor. My position there is as professor of systematic and historical theology. As you think about us here, I would ask that you pray for a couple of things. First, pray for the students. This is a tough time for them. Our students come from all around the world, and many of them are very concerned about their families in their home country. Families that in that live in places where the Wuhan virus is not yet reached its peak. Pray as well for myself and my colleagues as we open the Word of God, as we teach the courses that we teach, that we would be effective. We're using not video but live streaming over one of the video conferencing software and trying to keep touch with the students so we can finish out this school year. People ask often, how are you doing Tom? How are you and Patty doing? Well, in typical preachers' alliterative fashion, first of all, we're healthy, and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, the virus has not visited our home, although it did uh, visit the woman next door, and she's still recovering. The second thing is that we are hopeful. As I said, it's been a beautiful spring here. We don't live very far from a nature area. Uh, the Netherlands, mostly, or a lot of the Netherlands, at least where we live, is below sea level and we're living at the bottom of a drained lake. Part of what they drained, they left wild and so there's a nature preserve and it's been a beautiful spring. We've got ducks and ducklings, geese and goslings and we're waiting for the cygnets and the swans to uh, show up on the water outside. The flowers are all in bloom, the uh, tulip fields are in full color. So that gives us great hope that even in the midst of this virus, things are going on. Then the final thing is, like many of you, I'm sure, we're hairy, and so we're waiting for the day when we can go and get our hair cut and have some semblance of looking normal once again. But you know what? These are small things. God has been providing, we have food on the table, we have shelter, and so we thank the Lord for what he's given us. Now, it's been about two years since the last time I was at Terrell Road, so I'm trying to imagine those that I'm speaking to rather than just this camera that I'm staring at. And I hope, as the Lord allows, to perhaps see you again in person as we open up the Word of God together. Now, one of the things that's happening right now is that I think all of us are wondering what comes after the Wuhan virus lockdown ends. What's the next step? We wonder if the world will ever be as we left it weeks ago. Now, perhaps we wonder what will work be like? Will it be the same? Will we be commuting back and forth? Will we go more to a teleconferencing setup? As we talk about work, Some of us may be wondering, will I have a job at all? What will be the nature of the economy? Will my job be necessary? What does that future hold? And so we pray and we pray about this future. Perhaps some of us are wondering about our personal relationships uh, when the lockdown ends. You know, how is it with our close friends and family? People we've not been able to see People we've not been able to spend time with. Um, Grandparents have not got to hold their children and their grandchildren, and grandchildren and children have not been able to hold uh, their grandparents. And so there's been a disruption of the relationship. Maybe a close friend that we spent a lot of time with. Will it be the same when the lockdown ends? And so we wonder, but we also pray. Perhaps we even wonder about our local church, and I trust we are thinking about our local church. What will it be like when the lockdown ends? Will people come back? Will more people come back, perhaps because of a spiritual sensitivity, now that they've been in a time of crisis? What will be the future of our assembly going forward? Um, What will it look like? Uh, What will we do? And so we pray. But with all that has happened and is happening, what is it we should be praying about? Now, certainly prayer for the local church or asking God's hand of mercy on his people in a particular location is crucial to the ministry of the local church. The gathered believers cannot hope to effectively serve God and represent him to the world without divine enablement. Christians cannot hope to comprehend and apply the mysteries of God without his wisdom. We look to him. We depend upon him. Without God's hand of empowerment, the local church neither accomplishes her purposes or honors the Lord. Now, the local church in its health was very much at the center of the attention of the writers of the New Testament. Concern for the local manifestation of the body of Christ occupied particularly the writings of the Apostle Paul, a man through whom the gospel and the outworking of the gospel was displayed throughout much of the empire of his day. Now what concerns did the Spirit of God address through Paul's writings regarding the local church? And where might we find these concerns expressed? Now, while Paul dealt continually with the founding, shaping, and continuance of many local churches, in one book in particular of the New Testament, we find both the overview for the universal church of God, as well as direction to one of its local manifestations. That book was the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. So in the passage that we're going to examine today, Paul, we're gonna find as Paul is praying and considering the needs of this church, he prays three requests for the church at Ephesus. And Paul's prayer for the church's Ephesus is as pertinent now as it was then. The three items that we're gonna look at are as needful today as they were when Paul penned those words many centuries ago. What is it that he prayed? What could we see as a organizing thought for our time this morning? We're going to see that the local church needs divine power and divine wisdom in order to experience divine fullness. What we're saying is the local church needs God's enablement and his insight in order to be fulfilled, excuse me, in order to be filled with God's completeness. If you have a Bible, please open it to Ephesians chapter 3. And please follow along as we read verses 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we begin to go through our passage then this morning, we'll see in verses 14 to the first part of 17, our first point is that the local church needs divine power. Now, where is it that this divine power comes from? How is it that we get this divine power? And what is the purpose? Of this divine power. We see first of all in verses 14 to 16 that the source of this divine power is God the Father. Now as Paul lays out God the Father as the source of divine power he's building on an idea that that God the Father is not only the source of divine power but because of his power it's a recognition that God the Father's power underlies all of our relationships. If we were to go back a chapter or two in the Book of Ephesians, and we were to look at Ephesians 11 and 2:11, uh, sorry, and verses following, we would find this. Let's start in verse 11. Read 11 and 12. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having a hope and without God in the world Paul is beginning to build the case that without the power of God that unifies us We maintain a divided body. Now, periodically, I preach at an international Anglican church nearby where I live here in the Netherlands. Now, they don't have a Jew-Gentile split that Paul is describing in the book of Ephesians, but they do have a local church which, if you will, is from every tribe and every nation, and it's kind of like a foretaste of people around the throne of God that we're going to see when we get to heaven in Revelation chapter five and verse nine. You see, if you walk into this local church and if you look at the people that are there, they have people from just about, I don't know, 10, 11 different nations and from every part of the body of Christ. They have Baptists, they have some brethren, they have an evangelical free, they have Lutherans. And occasionally, They even have one or two Anglicans. That's kind of an inside joke, but it's true. There are almost no Anglicans at this Anglican church. What binds them together, or at least what draws them together, let's say, is the English language and something about Jesus. But like the church at Ephesus, they have learned that as believers gathered together, their commonality is the one father, of us all. They don't elevate nationality or denomination over family relationship, and this is Paul's point. If we were to go again to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 18, we'd find this: "For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so what Paul is talking about is saints and members, the household of God, because of God as our father, our heavenly father, there's this oneness that is there. But Paul continues in our passage Verse 16 of uh, Ephesians chapter 3 with a clear statement of the unlimited nature of God's power. It says in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. Now, one of the world's greatest living philanthropists is Microsoft founder Bill Gates and his wife Melinda. In 2005, they endowed the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with just under $28 billion. And in the ensuing years, he and his wife have given from their riches. As a matter of fact, if you're following the news right now, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is underwriting projects to try to develop a vaccine for the virus that is sweeping the world right now. And so they have given from their riches. Now, although the sums are vast, it is nonetheless limited. Now, in contrast, Paul is writing and he prays that the believers would be given power according to the riches of God's glory. Now, if you were a Jewish listener, when this letter is first read at the Church of Ephesus, you'd have caught your breath because you hear the statement, according to the riches of his glory. Because when the original Jewish listener thinks about the richness of God's glory, it brought to mind the fearsome display of God's glory at Mount Sinai, at the giving of the law, where it was so awesome that the people said, hey, Moses, you go and see God. This is too terrifying to us. We don't want to be any part of it. You go and then come back to us. Or perhaps uh, the awesome glory of God witnessed by Isaiah in the temple that caused him to cry out in terror at his own unworthiness, realizing his sinfulness, or the glory of God that came down at the dedication of the temple, and it came with such power and uh, majesty that the priests were caused to rush out of the temple in fear of their lives. It is according to this limitless glory that Paul asks that the power of God be given to the believers at Ephesus. But if God the Father is the source of divine power, the means or agency of that divine power we find in the second half of verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 3. For the means or agency of that divine power is God, the Holy Spirit. Power through the Spirit in your inner being is what our text says. This power, the power of the Holy Spirit, is something that cannot be earned and it cannot be bought. The Holy Spirit, his purpose, uh, this power via the Holy Spirit, is for strengthening our inner man, the part that struggles with sin. We would find this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 22, as Paul talks about the terrible sin that he struggles with, even as a mature believer. And the Spirit is given, it says, to strengthen with power through your inner being, to help us as we try to walk with God. But why would the divine power of God the Father, as mediated through God the Holy Spirit, be necessary? The first part of verse 17 gives us the answer so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, whatever dwells in our inner man manifests itself in an outward expression. You know, we've had a lot of time, perhaps we've had a quiet time as we're in lockdown. And we've perhaps learned about ourself, what dwells inside. We've been alone with our thoughts at times, or uh, we've had time for reflection because Perhaps the work is a little bit less. And what we've seen about ourselves may not be very nice. Left to ourselves, we find that what is inside is making its way to the outside. The Bible tells us that the character of Christ should increasingly dominate and shape our whole orientation. So that Christ may dwell in your heart, through faith. You know the local church needs more than divine power. What Paul first prays about. If we start in the middle of verse 17, we see that the local church needs divine understanding. Now, divine understanding. As we get, uh, as we look at our passage, it says you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And so we see that divine understanding is not a special or a secret knowledge limited only to a few. You don't have to be of a certain status or a certain education or of a certain uh, ethnic background or something else, whatever measurement you might want to have divine understanding. You know, in the history of the church, just after the time of the apostles, men came along claiming a secret knowledge whereby one could have a better or special relationship with God. And so they posited a knowledge that was first esoteric, meaning it was hidden and revealed to just a few. Second, it was mystical because they claimed direct or immediate experience of God. And finally, it was subversive because they actually critiqued biblical revelation And their main critique is, there's more than what's here. We've got something that you don't. And you need this special knowledge if you want to have proper relationship with God. You know, rightly so, the early church denounced these men as heretics and pointed to the Bible as the authoritative source of God's self-revelation. You know, today we don't often see this exact pattern, but we do see from time to time a man come out of the academic world, the world I work in, and he claims to have discovered a novel interpretation of Christianity, or perhaps additional secret uh, revelation, a new book they think they found a a piece of uh, somewhere buried in an archaeological dig. Or more commonly, perhaps, we see some self-proclaimed prophet who says, you know, I have the keys to revelation and you need to come to me if you want that. Folks, very simply, we know this is contrary to scripture. Our passage tells us that the divine understanding for which Paul prays, it says here, for all the saints, all the believers, not just for a select group whether they be academics or so-called prophets it's something the knowledge of God as revealed in scripture that's to be worked out in community not discovered in isolation so divine understanding and the need is the need and goal of every believer but divine understanding for all is not merely to know but it means to apprehend it we need to take what we've been taught, what we've learned, what we've read, and truly make it ours. You know, many years ago, I was a student pilot in the military. I spent hours memorizing the basics of what to do in an emergency situation. And one of the most challenging potential situations was recovering from the airplane in a spin. And before I was allowed to fly solo in these jets, I had to demonstrate that I could recover from a spin. Now, how was this knowledge tested? Well, first I had to be able to tell the instructor the steps to take when the plane uh, went into a spin so that the plane could be recovered, uh, recover from the spin. And the instructor would ask, Marnello, how do you get out of a spin and you go through the steps? And normally it was across the table from the instructor. But knowledge was not enough because once as a student pilot, you were able to recite the steps to recover the plane from a spin. An instructor pilot would take you out and in the plane (coughs) and he would put the plane into a spin. He'd turn it over to you and say, recover the plane. Sometimes it would be upside down. Sometimes it'd be right side up. The students had to be able to respond once they were uh, able to go out by themselves. Why? Because it wasn't just knowledge. We had to be able to apprehend it. We had to make it ours. In the same way, Paul is praying for the believers that we might come to know the love of Christ. Not enough to be able to describe it and analyze it. And, and make an outline about it. But we must be familiar to the point of seeing its outworking in our life, that we be rooted and grounded in love. And that's what it is we are to apprehend, the love of Christ. But as we look at our passage, as we are rooted and grounded in love, to comprehend with the saints, what is it? that we comprehend it says in our passage the breadth and length and height and depth that's the vastness of the love of christ it is wide enough to embrace the whole world one man has said in john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A love which is long enough to last forever. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that passage on love, it says, love never ends. It's a love which is to be high enough to take sinners to heaven. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. And then a love which is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. Romans 5:8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. But what should be the result of divine power and divine understanding in the local church? Why did Paul pray for these things from God? We find that answer in the second part of verse 19 through the end of our passage. It's because the local church needs divine fullness. You know, without God's power and God's understanding, the local church is a hollow shell of what it intended to be. Without this enablement, without this wisdom, our assembly cannot be what God wants it to be. Now what is the goal of the average assembly or local church? Perhaps better preaching. This is a good thing to be able to clearly exposit God's self-revelation in scripture, to apply it effectively first to the speaker and then to the listener. That's a good thing. Perhaps better programs, maybe working with the youth, find a way to more effectively reach children and teens that in a way that will um, touch their hearts and have them fix their eyes on the Lord and those that don't know the Savior, draw them to the Savior. That's a good thing too. Perhaps better outreach in the community. And this outreach might be an evangelistic outreach, a witness of words, perhaps a witness of works to go alongside it where people see that we follow the Lord God. We don't just gather together in a, in a huddle and then kind of disperse and never talk about the Savior we love, the Savior we remember each week as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Outreach with a gospel message, coming together for worship, scattering for evangelism. You know, that's a good goal too. But Paul's prayer was for divine power. And divine understanding, so that this local body in Ephesus was filled with the fullness of God. And so it is, should be our prayer today. The prayer that Paul said for divine power and divine understanding, so that our local body is filled with the fullness of God, is the same today. Preaching. Programs and outreach then should be an outgrowth of this divine fullness. We cannot hope to have better preaching or more effective programs or more effective outreach in the community if we are not filled with divine fullness as described here. But how can a local church then hope to have the divine fullness of the triune God? Very simply, through the same one who has given his life to pay for our sin. Christ came not merely to die, although he certainly did. And then his sacrifice was accepted, his atoning work on the cross, as witnessed by the resurrection and his ascension back to the Father. But he came not just to die, but he came to build his church. So as we look at our passage in verses 20 and 21, we read this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what is it that God wants for the local church? what is it that the apostle prayed for and that we should be praying for whether we're in lockdown or whether we come out of lockdown we should be praying that our local church is given divine power and divine wisdom in order that we might experience divine fullness and with the scripture we can be sure that this is possible and like the apostle we can give glory To God.